FIFO. What really happens after the plane takes off? By Aaron Weston. Hi, I'm Mick, and I work as a dump truck operator on a mine in Western Australia. I do FIFO, which means I fly up to a mine site, work for one to five weeks, then fly out of that mine site or the closest airport home for a week or more. When I first heard about FIFO, I thought, wow, I'm going to be jet-setting around Australia like a rock star. What it actually means is getting up at a ridiculously early hour to try to make it to the airport in time, only to be surrounded by 20 or more of your half-asleep workmates who cannot stop whinging about how they have to go to work and there must be a better way to make money. This morning, I am sitting with Deb, who operates the wheel loader. We are drinking our airport-purchased coffees and watching the planes take off. She is banging on about her daughter, who is 13 now and is going through puberty, and due to all the changes in her hormone levels, is being a right little bitch and blah 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 blah. I usually try to pay attention to Deb's stories, but today I cannot concentrate. Not just because it is a boring story. I have been through a lot myself lately, and my head is everywhere. As I see, Deb's lips are moving. I do the polite thing and chuck in the odd, oh really, and oh yeah, that sucks. With Deb now sorted, I start to think back to when all this shit started. Oh yeah, that's right. It all started when my bloody roster changed from 3 and 1 to 2 and 1. This is the number of weeks in a rotation. Three weeks at work and one week at home. Now it is two weeks at work and one week at home. With a bit of a pay cut chucked on top. But whatever, that has nothing really to do with the story. I thought I would throw that in. Well, here is the story. Once upon a time, I am at a mining camp. The day starts just like any other at a mining camp, with the alarm going off at 4am. Beep, beep, beep. Ah, shut up, I say to my alarm. I had placed it further than arm's reach, so that I cannot reach the snooze button. If you have a problem with getting up in the morning, you should try it. That annoying beeping is hard to snooze through when you cannot reach it from your bed and you have to get up to turn it off. Once you are up, you might as well stay up and get ready for work. The usual morning routine is I turn on the TV for some background noise and head straight for the shower. Once I am dried, I put on my high-vis pants and shirt, then the old steel cap boots. The whole time I hear info commercials in the background trying to sell me the latest Ab King Pro or Ab Swing or Ab Curl thing. I brush my teeth and it's time to leave my little donger. A donger is a small room, usually 3 metres by 3 metres, with a king single bed, ensuite, wardrobe, mini fridge, a desk, and a much needed air conditioner, as it's usually stinking hot. Every donger looks pretty much the same in every mining camp. I make my way down the walkway to the dry mess. The dry mess is a fully staffed kitchen with a hot and cold buffet. It is where we have our breakfast and dinner. It is also where we make our lunch and grab our snacks for the day. God, I did not realise how many notes I would have to make for the non-minor people who may be listening to this book right now. Hello, by the way, thanks for buying the book. If I sell enough copies, I might be able to stop doing FIFO and start having lots of sleep-ins. Ah, sleep. Anyway, back to the story. I am walking down the walkway to the dry mess, and I spot my mate Dazza and say a cheery, Morning. Morning, he replies. From the tone in his voice, I can hear something is wrong with Dazza. I ask, What's wrong with you? Bloody Christina, he groans. Since her dad died, she reckons her mum is lonely, and now she wants her to move into our place, with us. Oh yeah, that would suck, I reply. Too right it does, he starts up. 
I only just got the last of the kids out the door, and I have become quite accustomed to walking around the house naked. If she moves in, I will have to keep my bloody clothes on, and the room I was going to turn into my Peter Brock memorabilia room will instead become that old hairy-legged dragon's bedroom. Oh yeah, that would suck, big time. We arrive at the dry mess, go through the turnstiles, and say our goodbyes. Have a good one, Dazza. Yeah, you too, Mick. He appears to be in a better mood after our chat. Sometimes just offloading your frustrations to a mate helps. If you have not been into a dry mess before, imagine a big, not-flash restaurant. Probably the closest thing would be a Chinese restaurant, just without all the Chinese symbols. As you walk in, there is a hot buffet in front of you with a couple of cooks behind it making omelettes to order. At night, you can order steak or fish. It is cooked fresh, however you like it. At every mine site in Australia, Friday night is fish and chip night. There is also a connecting dining room with plain-looking tables and chairs. In this room, there is a cold buffet with a selection of pre-sliced meats, cheese, salads, dried fruit and nuts, whole fruit, usually apples and bananas, cereals, yogurt, sliced breads, rolls, wraps, cakes and biscuits. And worst of all, the Mrs. Max pies and sausage rolls fridge. There is always one of these fridges. Beware, eating too many pies and sausage rolls will make you fat. Trust me. I order myself a large omelette with the lot. While it's cooking, I cruise over to the cold buffet to make my lunch. I make a couple of ham and salad rolls, grab a couple of apples, and to top it off, I grab a sausage roll. I know, and that is how I know it makes you fat. Thanks to the Mrs. Max fridge, I now have the starting of my very own muffin top. I have gone up a pant size since I started FIFO. Thanks to my genetics, I am still slim compared to most of the guys and girls here. I grab my omelette while thanking the cook and make my way over to my usual table. I notice that Thailand Tim and Bob are already seated there. Thailand Tim's real name is Jarrett, but he goes to Bangkok that often that everyone calls him Thailand. Why Tim? Well, I guess it starts with a T, just like Thailand. Bob, well, his real name is Robert. For some reason, people named Robert call themselves Bob and no one bats an eyelid. It makes entirely no sense to me, though. You think it would be Robert, Rob, Robbo or even Bert. Not Bob. I sit down with my large omelette and hear that Tim is having a dig at Bob. What's going on, I ask. Hey, Mick, Tim replies. I was just telling Bob here that he's an idiot. Oh, okay. Why is that? I question. Go on, Bob. Tell Mick what you just told me. Bob reluctantly replies, Oh my God, all I said was, I think I'm in love with Joy. Joy is the bar girl Bob met when he went to Bangkok with Tim last year. Oh, and Joy is 20 years old and about 50 kilograms. Bob is over 50 years old and about 100 kilograms. I know 100 kilograms does not sound like much, but he is only 5 foot 4 and mostly stomach. And I told you, she probably has three or four other suckers just like you in love with her and they would be sending her money over every month. With a sheepish look on Bob's face, Tim barks, Oh no, you're not sending her money, are you? How did you know I was sending her money? Anyway, her mother is sick, and I do not want her working in a bar anymore. She promised me if I sent her over a couple of hundred dollars each month, she will quit working at the bar. Ha <laughs> ha, so you are an idiot, laughed Tim. I must admit, I agree with Tim on this one. I have heard about this scam. I sit back and enjoy my omelette, all the while listening to these two numbnuts debating the rules of the Thailand bar girls. With Tim sitting back in his chair, he concludes their debate with saying, 
There are so many different money-making opportunities available to these girls, and it is all thanks to the lonely, horny and cashed-up Australian FIFO workers. After breakfast, we catch the bus to the mine site. Some people sleep, others play games or scroll through Facebook on their phones. Remember, it is still only 5am and dark outside. I send Becca, have a great day, love you, message. Oh, I have not mentioned Beck yet. I am married, and her name is Beck. Her real name is Rebecca, but you know us Aussies, we have to shorten everything. Beck and I are what you would call high school sweethearts. I might as well go back even further and tell you how we first met. We first met in high school in year 8, but it was not until year 10 that we finally got together. It was at my mate Colin's birthday party. He had the best parties. His parents had 20 acres of land, and we would go out to their big shed and get plastered. Colin was one of the popular kids at school. That was due to him being a year 10 who was dating a year 12. Her name was Cherie, and he was always bragging about how they had sex here and they did that there. It did backfire on him though. She got pregnant, and with her parents being the religious type, they made her have the baby. Colin finished up year 10 and had to get himself a job. I saw on Facebook that they are still together and have four kids now. I couldn't help but notice that they both looked drained and a lot older than what they are. Back to Beck. A group of us are playing drinking games, as you do when you are that age. It is truth or dare. Colin dares me to ride one of the sheep in the paddock. Bring it on, I say. I think, how hard can it be? There are people riding bulls, and this is just a little fluffy sheep. Colin finds a torch, and we all walk over to one of the paddocks. There are about 15 of us kids. Colin shines the torch around the paddock until he finds a sheep. There's one. Slowly sneak up behind it and grab the wool behind its head, then jump on its back and it will take you for a ride. Colin sees I am looking a bit uncertain. He adds, Don't worry, my brothers and I do it all the time. I later find out that is a total lie. Colin and his brothers had never even tried it, not even once. I climb over the fence and sneak up to the sheep. It is a lot bigger than I had initially thought. I turn around and look towards the crowd. I pump my fist up into the air. I guess I think it will make me look cool or something. The group gives me a big cheer. I turn back and walk towards the big sheep. Well, it is now or never. I lean forward and grab two big handfuls of wool. Suddenly, the sheep throws its head around and stares straight into my eyes. It must think I'm trying to hurt it because, just like lightning, it jumps up on all fours and runs around the paddock, dragging me behind it. I somehow managed to pull myself up onto its back. Any sane person would have let go, but in my drunken state, I hold on tighter. I can hear laughter coming from every direction. In reality, it is only coming from one spot. The sheep in its scared state had decided to spin around in circles, which means I am spinning around in circles. I start feeling very sick. Oh no, I feel all the alcohol and sausages that I had earlier coming up. And it does, all over the sheep and me. The sheep must think, stuff this for a joke. Wanting me off its back, it decides to bolt straight for the crowd of kids. Luckily, the kids have a fence to protect them from the sheep. Unlucky for the sheep and me though, we go head first into the fence. The laughter is deafening. The sheep gets up and staggers off. I try to stand up, but I keep falling down. I blank out a couple of times coming to realise the laughter has stopped entirely. Colin's dad has come from somewhere and does not seem happy about the situation. He manages to lift me up over the fence while saying, You were coming with me, you idiot, and you lot either go home or get in your sleeping bags and go to sleep. I think I am in big trouble. 
I am relieved to see that Beck is coming with us. We get into Colin's dad's car, and he drives to the hospital. Next thing I know, we were in the emergency department. When I had hit my head, I had split it open. I guess that would explain all of the dried blood on my shirt and neck. Beck holds my hand and keeps reassuring me that everything will be alright. It is all a bit of a blur. I end up with ten stitches to the top of my head and a big bald spot where they had to shave it. At least mum has enough sense to make me shave my whole head so I end up looking like a romper stomper from that Russell Crowe movie instead of an old balding man. After that, Beck and I are inseparable. God, if she can put up with me looking like that, then I have myself a keeper. She is a great kisser too. I do not want to know how she became so good at that though. So, there you have it. A real romance story. I might as well keep going from here. After high school, Beck goes on to study nursing, and I have many different jobs. I work at the local supermarket in the fruit and veg section. I am a bottle shop attendant, a brickies labourer, and I even install colourbond fencing for a while. We then decide we want the great Australian dream, to buy a house together. However, with my wages and Beck studying full-time, the bank tells us, you're dreaming, just like on that famous Australian movie, The Castle. I try the old working two jobs at once trick. This gives me no time off and makes me very tired and very grumpy all the time. Then one day, I see Jono driving a brand new HSV Commodore. Jono and I went to school together. Hey Jono, what the hell? I say while pointing at the car. Are you a drug dealer or something? Jono laughs. Nah mate, I got myself a job in the mines doing FIFO. I'm on the blast crew. Okay, so what is FIFO and what is the blast crew? I ask. FIFO means you have to fly into the middle of nowhere for three or so weeks, then fly home and have a week off, and you come back cashed up. The blast crew blows the ground up, and then the earth-moving machines come in and dig it up. That sounds good. Any chance you can get me a job doing that? I probably can. I will have to ask my supervisor and see what he says. That would be awesome. Thanks, Jono. No worries. Hey, I have to go. I am meeting up with a couple of chicks I met off the internet. I hope that when they see me driving this beast, their panties will fall off. <laughs> All right, have fun. Jono cranks his stereo and does a massive burnout. I would later come to realise Jono is the exact definition of a cub or a cashed-up bogan, with his V8 Commodore and ACDC cranking from an overpriced stereo. Not that there is anything wrong with being a cub. That is what he is. I go straight over to Beck's parents' house, where she is still living, and I tell her all about this FIFO thing. I will miss you, but if you do it just for a year or two, we should have enough for a house deposit. Then you can leave and get a regular job. I will be a qualified nurse by then, so we will be able to make it work, and we can have our own home. Yay, let's do it. I get the phone call a week later. Hello, I answer. Mick, it's me, Jono. How are you going? Hi, yeah, good, thanks. How did you go? Oh, that, yeah, great. As soon as the girls saw me rock up in my new car, they were gagging for it. I bought them a carton of vodka cruisers and we drove around town for a while until they were pissed as parrots and then we went back to mine and got it on like animals. They both had those tramp stamps and piercings. Hey Jono, I ask, trying to stop him going on with his story. Yeah? I was referring to the job. How did you go with getting me a job with you? Oh that, yeah well, Pete my supervisor said we have enough blast crew, but if you want a job in the catering department until a job with us comes available, he can probably get you one. What do you reckon? Yeah, that sounds great. Thanks, Jono. No worries. I will tell Pete and he will sort it out for you. Hey, I've got to go. See you, Mick. Thanks, Jono. See you, mate. Woohoo! I am doing FIFO. I am doing FIFO. I will be jet-setting around Australia like a rock star. 
Two weeks later and I am on my way to the airport. Beck is driving and saying, I can't believe people get up this early. Keep an eye out for a Macca's. I need another coffee. We find a McDonald's and both order a sausage and egg McMuffin meal with the hash brown and a coffee. We eat them while driving the rest of the way to the airport. I must admit I am feeling excited and nervous. I had only flown once and that was to Bali on a family holiday when I was five years old. Enjoy Port Headland, wherever that is, Beck says before giving me a big kiss and then driving off. I check in my bag and get my ticket. I then make my way up to the departure area. The airport is quite busy for such an early time in the morning. People are getting their coffees and takeaway sandwiches. Others are looking at magazines and some are asleep on the benches. You can easily tell which ones are the FIFO workers, wearing their bright yellow and blue or orange and blue high-vis shirts. I find the Port Headland gate and realise they are already boarding. Gee, that was good timing. I board and find my seat. Oh cool, it is a window seat. I buckle myself in and start to relax. I am just about to fall asleep when I feel a presence next to me. I look up and towering over me is the biggest Maori guy I have ever seen. He looks like he plays for the New Zealand All Blacks. He was wearing an All Black supporters top and is covered in those tribal tattoos that many of those Maori guys have. I think they have something to do with their family tree. Hey bro, it's your lucky day. I'm sitting next to you, the man mountain says as he squeezes into his and half of my seat, pushing me almost through the window. Hey bro, can you do me a favour and wake me up when breakfast comes? Yep, sure thing, I reply. I start to think about how cool it would be to be that big. I reckon he could probably pick up a car, a little car, possibly a Mini Cooper. But then again, he most likely could not sleep in a regular size bed. He probably has a king size bed and sleeps diagonally or something. Hey bro, stop staring at me. Oh shit, I did not realise when I was thinking, I was staring at him. Oh sorry, I say and turn away. Hey, you're not a homo, are you? If you are, you don't have a chance with me, bro. I'm all about the ladies, and the ladies are all about me. Ha <laughs> <laughs> no, I have a girlfriend. Her name is Beck, I reply, hoping to reassure him that I am straight. This big, scary-looking guy has one of those laughs that instantly puts you at ease and makes you laugh. Well, that's good. I'm George. I'm Mick. Why are you heading to Port Headland, Mick? I am going to work on the mine site in the catering department. Good for you. I operate the dozer on the mine. If this is your first time on a mine site, follow me and I will show you where to go. Awesome, thanks. No worries. And remember, don't stare at me. It's weird. Ha <laughs> <laughs> I won't. I lean back into my seat and relax, and I start to wonder what a dozer is. I must have fallen asleep, as the next thing I know we are landing, and right to his word, George shows me where to go. We catch the company bus and cruise down the main road towards the mine. It is amazing. There is nothing for as far as the eye can see, except red dirt, low shrubs and the odd dead kangaroo on the side of the road. It takes about an hour before we finally arrive at the camp. I don't know what I had expected. I probably should have done some research or at least asked Jono some questions. What I see is a village made out of transportable buildings and a big red dirt car park full of white four-wheel drive vehicles with orange flashing lights on their roofs and high-vis number stickers on their sides like LV325. There is the odd garden bed, which is an attempt at prettying up the place. There is also a swimming pool and a tennis court. The swimming pool will definitely be a bonus during summer. It is only spring and it is already boiling. I can only imagine how hot this place will get during the summer. Home sweet home, bro, 
George says while placing one of his massive bear paws on my shoulder. See that building over there? That is the village admin office, and that is where your boss will be. I have to go and get ready for work. Have fun, he says as he walks off. I walk through the dusty red car park and into the site admin office. Hi, can I help you? asks the stocky woman behind the counter. Hi, yes, I'm Mick. I'm supposed to start work here today? Oh yes, hi Mick. I'm Sandra. Nice to meet you. Let me have a look. She types something into the computer. Here you are. I have you down for room cleaning. Come with me and I will give you a tour. I follow her outside. The tour does not take long. There is the dry mess, which I explained to you earlier. The wet mess, which is the pub, it looks like a big shed with a bar, some TVs up on the walls, three pool tables and lots of fans. There is also the swimming pool, tennis court, some storage rooms and laundries, which look like laundry mats with about six washing machines and six dryers in each. Lastly, there are heaps of dongers, which is what I will be cleaning. Sandra takes out a key and opens one of the dongers. This one is yours. Get changed and meet me back at the office and I'll show you what you have to do. Cheers, I say as I walk inside the little room. I watched a documentary once about a minimum security prison. You know, one of those prison farms. And I'm sure those rooms on that documentary look exactly like this one. Anyway, I am here now. I get changed into my new uniform and head back towards the office. Ah! I scream. It sounds more like a 12-year-old girl scream. I jump back, fearing for my life. Right there in front of me is a dragon. Well, a lizard on steroids anyway. This thing is massive. I have seen dogs smaller than this thing. I reckon this lizard could eat a whole dog, easy. Sandra comes out of the office. Oi, shut up, people are trying to sleep. What are you screaming like a little girl about? I point towards the dragon. Oh my god, it's just a bung arrow. Just walk around it. And don't you dare hurt it, or it will be your job. Me? Hurt it? How could I do that? I think that dinosaur would tear me to shreds if I even get close to it. I walk around it, staying at a very safe distance. I do not want it to feel threatened by me whatsoever. Ha <laughs> ha, Sandra starts to lose at laughing. Ha <laughs> ha, don't worry about them. You will get used to them and the snakes. It is the drop bears you have to look out for. Ha <laughs> ha. Now come on, grab that trolley and clipboard and I will show you how to clean a room. The trolley contains clean sheets, towels, floor mats, soaps, a broom and a mop with its bucket. We go to a room marked on the clipboard as empty. Never trust the clipboard, always knock first. You wouldn't believe the things I have walked in on, Sandra says. We knock on the door. No answer. We enter and start cleaning the room. We change the sheets and swap out the towels and floor mat with fresh ones and lastly mop the floor. Easy, yeah? You have a map on the back of the clipboard for if you get lost and if you need anything, I will be in the office, Sandra says as she turns and walks away. Easy enough, I guess. And with that, I set about cleaning the rooms marked on the clipboard. I wonder what sight Sandra has seen by not knocking on the doors. I guess I will find out if I do not knock. The next four rooms are easy and uneventful. The fifth room is a different story. I start cleaning it just like the other rooms. However, there are supposed to be two towels per room, and there is only one hanging up in the bathroom. I look around and see the towel is under the bed. There you are. I pick it up with my bare hand and notice that it is crusty with the dry whitish powder on it. With the towel still in my hand, I look further under the bed and see a stack of porno magazines. I look back at the towel and it takes a millisecond before it clicks in my head and I throw the towel across the room. Yuck, yuck! I cannot believe I have just picked up some other bloke's wank rag. I feel like throwing up. 
I quickly run into the bathroom and wash my hands. I go through the whole cake of soap. I do not care about wasting the soap. I do not want some other bloke's semen on my hands. Yuck! Once I am convinced that my hands are thoroughly clean, I go to the office and tell Sandra. Men are pigs, Mick. You should know that. You are a man. Now harden up and clean that room. There are gloves in the storeroom. Now go get a pair. And while you're at it, grow a pair. Wow, I did not expect that response. I am used to women being a lot more, I don't know, girly, I guess. Sandra is a lot manlier than I'm used to, that's for sure. I wonder if all of the women that do FIFO are as rough as Sandra. I guess I will find out. I get some gloves and sort out the wank rag. I mean towel. The rest of the day goes smoothly, and it is over before I know it. I go into the dry mess for some dinner, and it is a sea of high-vis. I grab a plate full of roast beef and veggies and look around for somewhere to sit. Hey, bro, Mick, come and sit with us, George calls out from his table. It is full of the rest of the All Blacks team. As soon as I sit down, it starts. Everyone, this is Mick, and Mick is gay. What the? No, no, I'm not. Of course you are. Remember how you were staring at me on the plane? What? No, I have a girlfriend. Of course you do. What's her name again? Brad or something? What? No, it's Beck, and she's a girl. Sure she is. <laughs> the whole table pisses themselves laughing. I turn bright red and I try to think of what to say next. But I take too long thinking. Nice comeback, Mick. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm just messing with you. You have to be a lot quicker than that if you were going to survive this FIFO game. <laughs> and that was my introduction to the mining sense of humour, which is taking the piss out of each other until someone does not have a comeback. And that means the other person wins. I must say it's a fun dinner listening to this lot taking the piss out of each other. They are all very skillful in the craft. I finish my meal and get up to leave. Hey Mick, you will have to come down and have some drinks with us on shift change, George says. I am about to ask what shift change is, but quickly stop myself. I do not want to give these guys anything else to take the piss out of me with. I just reply, sounds good. I walk back to my room and call Beck. Hi beautiful, I say. Hi Mick, how was your first day? I spent the next half hour telling her everything that had happened. Oh wow, that sounds very different. You know, if you don't like it, you can always come home. Just then, I hear Sandra's voice in my head saying, Harden up. No, it's all good. I will give it a good go. Well, I had better get some sleep. Love you. Good night. Love you too. Good night. The next two weeks go well. Many night shift workers are sleeping through the day, so you need to be quiet when cleaning the rooms. I still come across the old towel wank rag, but I learn to just give them a fresh one. I see George on the way to the dry mess for dinner. Hey Mick, are you coming to the wet mess for a beer? Um, I wasn't going to. I'm pretty knackered. Bro, it's a shift change. You have to come down. Oh, okay. Why not? Good. See you down there. I call Beck and then have a shower. Then I walk through the red dusty car park and past the 20 or so white four-wheel drive vehicles to the big shed that is the wet mess. I see George and the other all-black players sitting at one table. Hi, guys, I say. Hey, Mick, they all say in their own way, either with a nod, a smile, or just speaking it. I sit down at the long wooden outdoor table. You know the type that you would see at a park or a camping ground? The table is almost covered with empty beer bottles. Bro, I reckon you should go and get your guitar. That's what we need right now, one of the guys say. Yeah, nah, not yet. I can't be bothered getting up. Whatever, I'm going to message Tina and book her in for later. Do you want me to book you in too? Nah, bro, I'm sweet. Oh, crap, she is fully booked. I bet it is those bloody dodgy drillers. I guess it might be Shirley's lucky night. 
He turns his head and looks at a fat chick who is wearing bike shorts and who has visible cellulite. Is that Tina that cleans the rooms like me that you were talking about? I ask. Yeah, and that's not all she cleans. Haha. <laughs> he nudges the guy next to him to show him that he had just said something hilarious. I don't get it, I say. Bro, she's a hooker, you know, a prostitute. Really? She looks so normal. Haha, <laughs> yeah, well, what did you expect a hooker to look like? Some anorexic drug addict with no teeth like the ones you see on TV? <laughs> I guess I never really thought about it. With that, I get up and go to the toilet. I walk in and see that the urinal is full, so I go into one of the stalls to do a pee. I look around at all the graffiti. There are drawings of penises, vaginas and bumholes. This place sucks, with the sucks spelled S-U-X. There are rude poems. This AFL team is the best, which is scribbled out, and somebody else has put their own team's name in its place. There are also full conversations. For a good time, Shirley's room is H19. Someone else wrote, no, it's K12. You should know, you were the chubby chaser, and on and on it goes. There are spelling mistakes everywhere. I finish my pee, and as I am washing my hands, I see many blokes walking straight out without washing theirs. Mental note to self, if I see those guys later... Don't shake their hand. As I walk out of the bathroom, I bump into a fat chick. Well, hello, you must be new here. I'm Shirley. What's your name? Shirley says while looking me up and down as if I'm a piece of meat that she's about to eat. Hi, I'm Mick. Excuse me, I've just seen a mate of mine. I blurt out and run over to Jono, whom I see is watching the whole thing. Haha, <laughs> I see you have met Shirley, Jono laughs. Yeah, I thought she was going to eat me. Yeah, well, she will if you let her. She has done heaps of guys around here, and shift change at the wet mess is her hunting ground. <laughs> what? No way. Who would have sex with her? You would be surprised. There are many lonely, horny guys up here, and add a lot of alcohol, and voila, some poor sucker is waking up next to a grizzly bear. <laughs> hey, do you want to do a line? What, do you mean drugs? Um, yeah, what else? I bring up some speed for shift change every swing, and Pete over there brings up the ecstasy. Really? How do you get it past airport security? That's easy, just put it in your wallet. What about the police and their sniffer dogs? Well, if you don't look dodgy, why would they hassle you? And if you see the dog coming your way, go to the bathroom, get some hand soap and pop the drugs up your bum. Then rub some of the soap around your bum hole and voila, all the dog smells as hand wash. Wow, when you put it that way, it sounds pretty easy. It is. Anyway, come and meet the drill and blast guys. We walk over to a group of guys who look as if they came straight from work to the wet mess, and they are all still wearing their dirty uniforms. Hey guys, this is my mate Mick. Hi Mick, they all say in their own way, the same as the Maori guys had. Due to there being so many of them, they had pushed two of the wooden tables together, and both were almost full of beer and bourbon cans. These guys are giving the Maori guys a run for their money in the drinking department. I sit down at the table and start talking to one of the drillers named Corey and he sounds like he has taken too much of Jono's speed. He tells me about how he is using the money he earns from drilling to start up a winery with his brother. We bought the land last year, and my brother is setting up the grapevines as we speak. Next year, we plan to build a beautiful restaurant overlooking the big dam and a separate wine tasting room where customers can try the wine and purchase a bottle. As soon as the winery is profitable enough to support both my brother and me, I will give FIFO away. Wow, it just goes to show you cannot judge a book by its cover. This driller, in his dirty uniform, and who is high as a kite, 
could one day be a successful winery owner and be selling you a glass of Chenin Blanc and describing its fruity aromas. Or if you are a red wine drinker, maybe a glass of Shiraz and he could be suggesting what meg goes well with it. The night is fun, lots of drinking, storytelling, and the Maori guys finally had the guitar out and are singing along with that. Suddenly, I hear lots of cheering and laughter coming from behind me. I turn to see what all the fuss is about, and there is Terry, one of the fitters in his birthday suit running around the wet mess. A fitter is a mechanic for the earth-moving machinery. Anyway, Terry is running around Starkers and yelling to everyone to come for a swim in the pool. I will stop and let you know what Terry looks like, because it is a sight. Terry is the hairiest man I have ever seen. Hairy back, chest, legs, pubic area. The only place there is no hair is on his head, so he looks like a monkey with its head shaved. He does a couple more laps of the wet mess and runs off into the darkness towards the pool. Seconds later, we hear a big bang. Everyone gets up and runs towards where the bang had come from. We all come to a standstill in front of the pool gate, and everyone starts losing it laughing. There in front of us lying in a big hairy heap is Terry. He had run straight into the pool gate and knocked himself out. Everyone continues laughing for another 10 seconds or so, until we all realise he is still not moving. One of the other fitters, Steve, who was a member of the emergency response team, puts him into the coma position and tells others to call the site nurse to get the ambulance down here. Another guy is asked to find Terry some clothes. I start to think back to when I had almost knocked myself out due to that stupid sheep. I probably could not call the sheep stupid. I was the stupid one for jumping on its back. The unfortunate thing was just trying to sleep. Then I came along and jumped on its back. I come back to reality and realise I am rubbing the scar on the top of my head. I look around to see if anyone is watching me, but no one is paying me any attention. They are either watching or helping Terry into a neck brace and onto a stretcher. I must have been daydreaming for a while because within that time, someone had managed to find a pair of board shorts and put them on Terry. I later found that this was not to protect his modesty, but rather to protect his job. When they filled out the incident report, it said that he had tripped over and banged his head on the way into the swimming pool. The report said nothing about him being drunk or naked at the time of the incident. After the ambulance came and took Terry away, I figure I might as well stumble back to my donger and pass out. I cannot remember the last time I had drunk this much alcohol, and I am pissed as a parrot. I wake up around lunchtime the following day feeling like crap. My head is pounding, and my mouth is as dry as air's rock. I go into the bathroom and scull about a hundred litres of water straight out of the tap. The only problem with that is I didn't let the tap run for long enough and the water was still warm. Oh no, that just makes me sick. And here we go, it comes straight back up. I aim for the shower as I start to throw up and I manage to get it all in there. This is good because all I have to do now is turn the shower on and wash it down the plug hole. I strip off and hop into the shower and using my foot, I push the remaining spew down the hole. Ah, the water feels so good. I make it as cold as I can handle to snap me out of this horrible, groggy feeling. Oh, I suddenly realise I have a couple of beers in the fridge. I leave the shower running and using the bath mat under my feet so I do not slip over. I shimmy out to the fridge and crack it open. The light from the fridge is like the lights from heaven and I can hear the angels' harps playing as I see the beers sitting there on the shelf as if I'm in a beer commercial. I grab a beer, crack it open and take three big gulps. Ah, beautiful. I use the bath mat to shimmy back into the shower with my beer. I stay in there for ages, drinking my beer with the cold water flowing over me like a waterfall. Wow, this is the best feeling ever. It almost makes it worthwhile being hungover.
I think I just invented the best hangover cure. By combining the hair of the dog, meaning a beer, with a cold shower. I think I will call it the wet dog or the hair of the wet dog. Maybe I will leave the name for now. I dry off and lay back on my bed with my last beer. I click on the TV and find my choices at Days of Our Lives, The Young and the Restless, Oprah or an old Elvis movie. I decide on the Elvis movie and call back. I tell her all about the crazy night I had last night and about Terry, the bald monkey. She tells me, if it gets too crazy, just quit and come home. Nah, it is fun, I reply. With that, we say our goodbyes and I grab a towel and head for the pool. I have a bit of a beer buzz going which makes me feel a little better. I see Terry and a couple of the other guys from last night already relaxing in the pool. Hey guys, I say. Hey Mick, they all reply in their own way. How's your head, Terry? Yeah, pretty sore, eh? If anyone asks, I was sober and I tripped over on my way into the pool area. That's how I bumped my head. I think he's trying to wink at me, but because he has sunglasses on, I cannot see his eyes. He just looks like his face is having a spasm. Yeah, no worries, I reply and jump in for a swim. There is not too much conversation as everyone is hungover. At least I do not have to go to work tonight, like these guys. The cleaners are day shift only. However, almost everyone else has to do the night shift. I hang out here for a while swimming and sunbaking. Then I go back to my room, get changed and go in for some dinner. I am starving by this stage. I walk over to the hot buffet and get myself a big plate of chicken curry and rice. I look around and see a spare seat with the drillers that I was talking to last night. Hey guys, mind if I join you? Yeah, sit down. We were just talking about who Justin woke up next to this morning, says Pete. Justin is one of the other drillers. There are probably about six of them on this crew. Wait, I thought you said you were married with kids. I am, but what happens in camp stays in camp, he replies. I look around, and everyone at the table acts as if this is normal. So I just say, fair enough, so who was it? Shirley, ha <laughs> Pete laughs. And that's not even the best bit. Go on, tell him. Haha, <laughs> when I realised it was Shirley next to me in bed, I was like Tom Cruise in one of those Mission Impossible movies. I had my arm under the pillow spooning her. I slowly pulled it out inch by inch. I was making sure that I did not wake her. Then I slowly rolled off the bed onto the floor and felt around for my clothes. Once I had them all, I made my way to the door in stealth mode. As I opened the door and the light came on into the room, I realised it was my bloody room, not hers. Ha! <laughs> Then I just flicked the light on and said, Oi, Shirley, wake up. And she said, what? And I said, hey, can you please get your stuff and leave my room? And what a champion. She just got dressed and left. The whole table pisses themselves laughing. We were all so loud that everyone else in the mess turns around to see what we are laughing about. And some of the drillers at the table even start humming the Mission Impossible theme song. Whoops, look at the time. We have to go. See you, Mick. Yep, see you guys. They all grab their plates and leave. I finish my dinner still picturing Justin acting like Tom Cruise, just so he did not wake up the sleeping grizzly bear that is Shirley. Pretty funny. I take my plate up to the dishwasher chick. That is one of the best benefits of FIFO, not having to wash your dishes. I go back to my room and watch a movie until I fall asleep. The next week is uneventful. Breakfast, cleaning rooms, dinner, call back, sleep and repeat. It is finally fly-out day. Yay! Everyone is excited. We are all on the bus heading to the airport. And everyone is drinking. Then, at the airport, everyone is drinking. Then on the plane, everyone is drinking.
I am surprised by how much these guys and girls can drink. I hope that none of these people are driving themselves home from the airport because if they are, they would blow over. Most of them have come straight off night shift and if they don't have a sleep on the plane, they will be awake for over 24 hours before they get home. I have Beck picking me up. I walk through the arrival area and see her. You cannot wipe the smile from my face. I go straight up to her and give her the biggest hug and kiss. God, I'm glad to see you, I say. Yep, me too. Let's get out of here. As we are walking out, I see Justin cuddling some woman and she has a couple of kids with her. I guess they must be his wife and kids. Then I see Shirley walking up. Oh no, this is not going to go well. Shirley just walks straight past and into the arms of some other bloke and they kiss and walk off together. Wow, you do not see that every day, do you? I do not say anything to Beck. I am just happy to be home. We drive straight back to my place and go at it like rabbits. Well, it was quick like a rabbit. Give me a break, it has been three weeks with no action. I did try to hold back. I tell Beck I will get her next time. We cuddle up and I fall asleep for half an hour or so, as guys do. We stay in bed for the next hour or so, talking about everything. I tell Beck about the Justin and Shirley thing, and she shares some of the crazy things she sees at the hospital. I check my bank account and see there is a couple of grand in it. Wow, there has not been that much money in my bank account for a long time. Well, never actually. I take Beck out for a couple of nice dinners. I buy myself a new PlayStation and her some jewellery. By the time the week is over, I had spent the lot. Wow, it just goes to show how quickly it can all go if you're not paying attention to it. Beck and I decide if we are ever going to get a place of our own, we will need to be a lot smarter with the money that we earn. So, we do up a budget, and if we stick to it, we will have a house deposit by next September. It takes us until the following February to get the deposit. Due to when your income goes up, somehow so does your expenses. We find ourselves going out to eat a lot more, buying expensive gifts for each other and our family and friends. We go to the movies instead of hiring a DVD or just watching Netflix. When we go to the pub, we shout our friends who do not earn as much as us. I'm jumping ahead a bit too quick. Let me backtrack. After that first swing, the next few swings, well, really the next two years before I changed careers, we're all the same. It was breakfast, cleaning rooms, dinner, maybe a couple of drinks at the pub, call back, sleep, repeat. Shift change was always fun. Getting drunk and having Terry doing his nudie runs, he did these almost every shift change. He just learnt to slow down before he got to the pool gate if he was going for a swim. Let me think. There were some funny and exciting things that did happen during those two years. Alright, here is one I found interesting, and I think you would too. Picture this. I'm cleaning the rooms as usual, when... Hey Mick, Sandra calls out from behind me as she makes her way towards me. Yeah, what's up? I need you to go to room G12 and pack it up. The bloke missed the plane and when we finally got in touch with him, we were told he was going back to prison for attempted murder. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know, right? Anyway, you know where the boxes are. Just give it a good clean and let me know when you have finished so I can update the room's availability on my computer. With that, she walks off and I go to the storeroom and grab some packing boxes. I take them over to G12 and open the door. I wonder whose room it is. My question is answered as soon as I walk through the doorway. On a shelf next to the TV is a photo of a huge scary looking guy covered in tattoos with an older lady. Probably his mum. I recognise the bloke as one of the crusher guys. I do not know his name. He is probably about the same size as George. I wonder who would win out of a fight between those two. 
I can picture the fight now. This is the main event of the evening in the super heavyweight division. Fighting out of the blue corner, standing 6 feet 5 inches tall, weighing in at 300 pounds, George the Massive Maori. And fighting out of the red corner, standing 6 feet 4 inches tall, weighing in at 305 pounds, scary old mate from the crusher. The crowd goes wild. Okay, well, enough daydreaming. I'd better start packing away his stuff. There is not too much in the room. I put his work uniforms on the bottom of the first box and then place his small TV and DVD player on top. Next, his photos, toiletries and all his protein powders. Lastly, I will finish the box off with the rest of his clothes. I open the drawers next to his bed and what the? It is chock-a-block full of women's silk underwear. There are lots of different knickers and bra combinations. I have heard of guys keeping souvenirs after having slept with a chick, but this is ridiculous. And they are all large. Old mate fancies the bigger girls. I put them all into the box and then I realise there is no men's underwear. I take a closer look at the sizes on the women's underwear and they are all the same size and large enough to fit old mate. Boom! The guy is a cross-dresser or whatever you call a guy that wears women's underwear. His scary factor just went down by a half. I go into the office and tell Sandra. That's pretty funny. I would not go around telling anyone else if I were you. It could be your job. And considering that he is going to jail for attempted murder, if it gets out that you told everyone his little secret, it could cost you your life. I suddenly feel sick. His scary factor jumps up a thousand points. I go back to the room and finish packing the boxes and clean the room. I never do tell anyone about that guy, not even Beck. Until now, anyway. But I am sure that you can keep a secret. I feel comfortable that you have been entertained enough for those two years, and we can now jump forward to us building our dream home. It's February, and we have our house deposit. Yay! Beck is working full-time as a registered nurse, which means by having two incomes and the deposit, we can finally get a home loan. We visit a couple of new estates and decide on one not too far from the beach that has plenty of parks, close by for when we eventually have kids. We find an impressive display home, four bedrooms, two bathrooms, study and a theatre room with all the bells and whistles. Life is good. While the house is under construction, I get the opportunity to leave room cleaning and get trained up on the dump trucks. I am excited that I will be sitting in an air-conditioned cab and not having to push a room cleaning trolley around in the heat while shooing away flies. I hop on the bus with George and all the other machinery operators and head to the mine site. I have seen pictures of the massive machines before, but it's not until you see them in real life that you realise just how huge they really are. When I arrive, I am introduced to Trish, the truck trainer. I am to spend the next three weeks with her doing PowerPoint presentations, paperwork and learning how to operate the dump truck. I find out that Trish is my old boss Sandra's girlfriend. What a spin-out, I did not even realise Sandra is a lesbian. Anyway, when Trish takes me over to see one of the dump trucks, I am amazed at how big it really is. I cannot touch the top of the tyre, even if I jump. When we get into the cab, I sit in the driver's seat. It feels like I'm sitting on a balcony of a two-storey house that is high off the ground. I am also surprised that the truck has an automatic gearbox. I had expected some complicated gearbox system with lots of gears. The braking system takes a while to get used to. There is the standard brake on the floor, the same as the one everyone has in his or her car. However, you can only use that one under 10 kilometres an hour. If you use it over that speed, the brakes scream at you. The truck standard brake that you use the majority of the time is a lever on the right-hand side of the steering wheel, which is called a retarder. You pull it down, 
and the truck slows down. There is also a park brake switch and a secondary brake. That is the foot pedal on the left side that you push down if all of the other brakes fail. So there you have it, four brakes. It is fun driving this massive machine around. What is funny though is that you get used to the size of it a lot quicker than you think you would. This is because everything is in proportion. The roads are wider and the parking spaces are bigger. By the end of the three weeks, I feel confident with driving the truck by myself. I have my week off and then two weeks of day shift driving the massive machine. It is the sixth week of driving that is the challenge. It is night shift. I had never had to stay awake all night working before. Of course, I have been to parties where we stay up all night drinking and talking rubbish. This in no way compares. At about 2am, your body wants to shut down and go to sleep. Your eyelids become so heavy it is hard to keep them open. I come close to hitting the high wall a couple of times. I had thought I had blinked, but what happened was I had a micro-sleep. For this to make sense, a high wall is the wall of the big hole we drive up and down. A micro-sleep is when you think you just close your eyes for half a second, but in actual fact it is between 1 to 20 seconds. Which is a long time to be driving with your eyes closed, especially when you are driving a 250-ton dump truck. I did not want to tell the supervisor because I thought he might say, I do not think you were cut out for this kind of work, and I would have to go back to room cleaning. By the end of the shift, I am completely knackered. I fall asleep on the bus going back to camp. Then, after breakfast, I am in bed and asleep by 7am, hoping to sleep until 4pm. However, being daytime, my body says you should be awake, so at midday I wake up and stare at the ceiling for the next four hours, hoping to get back to sleep. I ask some of the other operators what they do to stay awake, and there is a real mix of opinions. Some take sleeping pills to go to sleep, and then at night no doses, which are caffeine pills to keep awake. Others drink Red Bulls and lots of coffee. Some crank up the heavy metal and techno music in their cabs, while the alternative people eat green apples and put peppermint oil on their necks, saying that the peppermint smell keeps them awake. And then they put lavender oil on their pillows to put them to sleep. Sounds very hippie to me, but if it works for them, why not? I struggle on night shift, but I enjoy driving the dump truck, and I enjoy the pay increase, especially now that I have a mortgage. There are many operators who do not like the trucks. They say the trucks are boring, and you have too much time to think while you are in that little cab by yourself. They would overthink and find that they would end up becoming depressed, especially if there was stuff going on back home. And they were too far away to do anything about it. I remember it became too much for Sam. He told me one day that his wife was divorcing him and going for full custody of the kids. The full custody bit was so he would have to pay more in child support. At the time, he was only allowed to have supervised visit with his kids because she had put a restraining order on him. He swore he never touched her and believed it was her lawyer who had advised her to do this, making it easier for her to get full custody. Poor bugger. Well, one day Sam did not show up for work. The supervisor went to his room to check on him, only to find Sam dead. He committed suicide by overdosing on pills, washing them down with a lot of alcohol. I guess the harden-up approach we have in mining does not always work. The ex-wife did get the full custody she had wanted, but without the huge child support check she had expected to get from Sam to raise the kids. That supervisor was never the same either. How could you be after seeing the dead body of one of your workmates? He quit mining a month later, and I do not think he ever stepped foot back on a mine site. I know stories like this can be a bit depressing, so let me bring the happiness level back up a couple of points. 
our house is finished. Yay. I unlock the front door for the first time and say to Beck, Honey, we're home, we laugh, and then I say, Come here, I want to pick you up and carry you over the threshold like they do in the movies. Oh, you were such a romantic, she laughed. I pick her up and, God, she is a lot heavier than I had thought. I almost drop her as I carry her through the doorway. I set her back down and, as she is standing there looking around, I drop to one knee and pull a ring out of my board shorts pocket. Hey, Beck, turn around. Yeah, what, she says while turning around. She looks at me holding the ring. Yes, 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 I will marry you. I haven't asked you yet. Oh, sorry, we'll go on then. Beck, you are the love of my life. I want to be with you forever and have children with you and grow old with you. Will you marry me? Yes, yes, of course I will. I put the ring on her finger and she says, You know what? What? I knew you were going to ask me. Oh yeah, and how did you know that? Because when we were at the servo and you were fueling up the car, I opened the glove box to get out a new CD and I found the ring and the bit of paper with your little speech on it asking me to marry you. Wow, way to kill the moment, Beck, I think to myself. We wait a year to get married. The wedding is down south at a beautiful winery. Beck looks stunning in her white dress and I wear a matching white suit. I think I look pretty cool. George and Jono come and we all get drunk together and dance up a storm. It is great to be married to the love of my life, have an excellent job and be living in our dream home. Life is great. The following year is uneventful. We settle into married life and life has become routine. I would fly up to work for the three weeks and we would talk on the phone. Then I would be home for a week. She is still working her regular shifts when I have my week off. We do not see each other very much. We go to the movies and out for dinner together whenever we can. I have a lot of free time on my hands on my week off, so I start gaming online. I find it entertaining, as you can play with people from all over the world. It makes the week off fly by. I am back at work making myself a coffee before our pre-start meeting when I hear a familiar voice from behind me. Hey Mick, says Kev. Hey Kev, how was your break? Get up to anything interesting? Yeah, pretty good thanks. I took Beck out to dinner a couple of times. Did some gaming. What about you? Yeah, not bad. I took the boat out a couple of times and caught some good-sized snapper. I have to interrupt the conversation and tell you Kev's nickname. It is Nappy Pants. I do not say it to his face because he hates it. But others do, and he had threatened to report them to HR for bullying and get them sacked. Kev got the name when he was a driller. He operates the excavator now, but back then we had a seafood night at the dry mess and the oysters he ate did not agree with him. A couple of hours into the shift, Kev had to call up his supervisor to be picked up in a light vehicle for a code brown, which means he needs to do a poo in the toilet. There are no toilets in the pit where the drillers drill. If they are busting to relieve themselves, they have to be picked up in a light vehicle and taken up to the toilet. Most wait until their smoker or lunch break. Anyway, Kev only made it halfway out of the pit before he farted and shat himself. The smell was that bad, the supervisor told him to take the car back to camp and have the rest of the night off and to leave the windows down in the light vehicle overnight to wear it out. Kev drove all the way back to camp in his filth, hence the name Nappy Pants. You would think he would have just chucked his undies and wiped his butt in the toilets at the crib hut before driving the 20 minutes back to camp. I guess Kev wasn't exactly the sharpest tool in the shed. Anyway, Nappy Pants and I take our coffees into the pre-start room and listen to our supervisor do his return to work speech. Hi everyone, welcome back. I hope you all had a good break. We will be digging here, blah blah blah, and tipping there, blah blah blah. 
Also, I know there have been rumours going around that we might be changing our roster to 2-1, and one, and well, yes, the rumours are true, and as of right now, we are on a 2-1. and one. I know there will be some moaning about the slight drop in pay. There will also be some happy people with the ability to spend more time at home. Regardless of how you feel, this has come straight from management, and there is nothing I can do to change it. So, do not come up and whinge to me about it. Anyway, any questions that do not relate to the roster change? Nope. Good, go to work then. Sweet, two and one. I'll be able to do heaps of fishing, says Kev. Yeah, sounds great. I cannot wait to tell Beck. She'll be stoked. Hey, you know what you should do? You should surprise her. Just don't tell her. Then rock up with some flowers and be like, surprise. That's a brilliant idea, Kev. That's exactly what I'm going to do. The next two weeks drag. I cannot wait to get back home and surprise Beck. It is now finally over, and I am on the plane flying home. Yay! As we touch down in Perth, I must admit I am very excited about surprising Beck. I have never been able to surprise her. She would always be like, I knew you were going to do this or that, killing the mood instantly. She could not know about this though. I only knew about it two weeks ago myself, and I played it cool on the phone as well. It was not very hard. These days the phone calls were almost precisely the same every day. Hey Beck, how was your day? Yeah, good thanks, how was yours? Yeah, good, what did you get up to? Not much, I just finished at the hospital. I had to do bedpans and a couple of catheters. Now I am knackered, what about you? I just drove the truck around and around in circles, while trying to stay awake. Same old, same old. Well, I had better get some sleep. Night. Yeah, night. I guess you could say we were in a bit of a rut. Everything seemed routine these days. I think that happens to everyone that has been together for as long as we have. Our sex life has also been on the decline. We probably have sex once or twice a break, which on a three-in-one roster equals once or twice a month, or 12 to 24 times a year. That is pathetic in anyone's books. She once joked about having a threesome to spice things up. I thought about it for about 10 seconds. Some of the single guys at work had bragged about having them. That was with random girls or their so-called girlfriends that they really didn't love or see a real future with. I don't think you can do that with someone you love. There would be jealousy and what if your girl started fancying girls and turned into a lesbian? Could I even satisfy two girls at the one time? Beck was the only girl I had been with and I do not even know if I'm doing that right. Call me old-fashioned, but I think once you find the one, that is you for life. Nah, I felt a threesome was not the way to go for us. She then told me she was talking about two guys, not two girls, and that took me zero seconds to think about that. As if I want to see some other guy having sex with my wife. No way, and what if the other guy tried to touch me? Yuck! Sorry, I'm not homophobic, but I have no interest in other guys. Terry's nudie runs on shift change are bad enough. I told her no way, and she just said she was joking anyway. She had just wanted to get a reaction out of me. Phew, I was glad she was kidding about that. Back to the surprise. I left the airport and drove straight to the florist. I ordered 24 roses. Thinking I am such a romantic, until the shop assistant told me the price, and I quickly changed my order to a dozen roses. Gee whiz, I'm not going to go broke wasting my money on flowers. I think a dozen roses would pretty much have the same effect as the 24 roses. God, I did not realise how expensive flowers can be. Ah, home sweet home, I thought as I pulled into the driveway. That is strange. There is a car parked here that I don't recognise. It must be the cleaner's car. 
Beck told me we have a cleaner pop in while I'm at work. That would make sense why I did not know the vehicle. I grab my dozen roses and sneak in the front door. I do not want to make any noise just yet. This is going to be the best surprise ever. I can barely contain my excitement. I hear noises coming from the bedroom. She must be relaxing on our bed watching a movie. We have an excellent surround sound system set up on the wall in front of our bed. We used to spend a lot of time cuddled up watching movies. As I get closer, I can hear moaning and sex noises. Oh my god, it sounds like Beck is watching porn. I never knew that she was into that kind of thing. I wonder if she has a vibrator. Some of the guys at work told me that they had bought ones for their wives and girlfriends, and when I was a cleaner I would come across them from time to time. Shirley was the worst. She would leave hers out all of the time, along with her porn DVDs. I stop at the door and wonder what will happen next. I picture myself bursting through the door and there Beck would be under the covers watching this movie. She would look at me with my dozen red roses and be like, Come to me, you romantic man. We would then go at it for ages and collapse in a pool of sweat. With that thought in mind, I grip the door handle and burst through the door with a massive smile on my face. What the hell? I yell in shock. What I see in front of me, I cannot process. There on our bed, on mine and Beck's bed, the bed we bought together brand new when we first moved into this house, our house, our home, there on our bed, with my TV and surround sound system playing a porno, was Beck and two random guys, fully naked, going at it, in some position I had not even thought was possible. I thought for a second, maybe she is being raped. I cannot comprehend that Beck would voluntarily do something like this to me, of her own free will. One look at her face and I could tell she had loved every minute of it until I had interrupted. The shock must have worn off, and rage and adrenaline came through me. I leap at the guys throwing punches and trying to rip them off her. What happens next, I had not expected. How can you expect anything when you were blindsided with what I have just walked into? Since I am the one that started throwing punches, the guys feel justified in throwing punches back at me, and the fact that there are two of them and only one of me, they beat the crap out of me. I can hear Beck yelling at them to stop and to leave me alone. Her yelling stops them, but not straight away. A couple more punches and kicks, and I guess then they feel like stopping. With my one good eye, I watch from a heap on the floor as they grab their stuff. One kisses Beck on the cheek and tells her that he will call her later, after she has sorted this loser out. Just go, Dwayne, she replies, staring at me in my sorry state. She begins to cry. What are you doing here? She asks while putting her underwear and a top on. The porno was still playing loudly in the background. My roster changed and I wanted to surprise you. I answer, still laying on the floor. I do not want to move. My ribs hurt like hell and I'm finding it hard to breathe. God, could this get any worse? Hey, Beck, Dwayne comes back into the bedroom. What the hell are you still doing here? Beck asks. Piss off, I manage to get out. I'm filled with rage. I want to kill this guy. How could someone do this to me? I know he does not know me, but he has to know she is married. There are photos of us all over the house. There is even our wedding photo on the bedside table. Was this guy looking at our wedding photo while having sex with my wife, just laughing at me? What is wrong with people? I can hear them talking. I would go if this idiot hadn't parked behind me, blocking me in. Ah, oh, okay, where are your keys, Mick? I summon up all my strength and lunge at Dwayne. As I said, I want to kill him. Due to the beating both guys had given me, he easily pushes me away with one hand. Stay down, idiot, or I will beat your ass again. Leave him alone. Beck reaches into my board shorts pocket and grabs my car keys. 
I'll be right back, she says as she leaves with Dwayne. Dwayne, what a dumb name. I know I'm going to hate or dislike everyone with that name from now on. They will be like, hi, I'm Dwayne, and I'll be like, shut up, Dwayne, you're a dick. Beck comes into the room. She starts doing her whole nurse thing and checking for broken bones, cuts and stuff. Does anything hurt, she asks. I think to myself, my heart, you bitch, you horrible, horrible person. Where do you think it bloody hurts? I can hardly talk. I'm filled with rage. How could she do this to me? My emotions are going everywhere. I burst out crying. My whole body starts shaking and moving about without my control. I have never felt so out of control of my own body and emotions before. You were just going through shock, Mick. Everything will be okay. Just keep breathing. I will be back in a sec. I'm going to call an ambulance for you. An ambulance? I am not that hurt, am I? I must admit, the adrenaline is wearing off, and I'm starting to feel a lot more pain. She comes back into the room and turns off the porno. So, what are you doing here? She asks again. I told you, my roster changed. I cough up a little blood as I answer. Actually, on second thoughts, don't talk. A couple of minutes pass in silence, and all I can see is Dwayne and his mate all over Beck. There is a knock on the door, and a voice calls out. Hello, ambulance. Yes, in the bedroom, Beck calls back. She introduces herself as a nurse and tells them everything. The paramedic gives me a green whistle to suck on for the pain. Relax, Mick, we're going to lift you onto the stretcher and take you to the hospital. Everything will be all right, the paramedic says to me. Do you want to ride in the back with him, the paramedic asks Beck. No, thank you, I will drive myself and meet you there. By this stage, I did not want to look at her. I hope she crashes on the way to the hospital. At least then she could feel part of the pain that I'm feeling. Even with the green whistle doing its thing, it was not taking the pain away from my heart. I lay on the hospital bed awaiting my results. Earlier, a doctor had examined me and had ordered some x-rays of my chest. Possible broken ribs, he had told me. Good news, your ribs are not broken, they are just bruised. So once you are finished with the police, you will be fine to go home, the doctor informs me. Police? What police? I ask. Oh, the nurses did not tell you? They are in the hallway. It is hospital policy that when a patient arrives in a state that suggests an assault, the police are contacted. Oh, okay. Thanks, I reply. Well, at least those two scumbags might get charged with assault and hopefully get some jail time. That would make me feel a little bit better. I will tell them to come in. With that, the doctor leaves the room and the police officers enter. Good evening, I'm Senior Constable Thomas, and this is Constable Harper. Can you please tell us what happened to you? Thomas is a powerful-looking man in his early 50s, and Harper is a pretty lady in her early 20s. She looks fresh out of the academy. Anyway, I tell the officers the whole story, and Harper took many notes. After I finish, Thomas says, Being honest with you, Michael, there will not be a lot that we can do to help you. This is because you have already admitted to us that you attacked them first. They will claim it was self-defence, even though it was excessive. Let us hope that they do not lay charges on you for assault. With that, the police officers say goodbye and leave. Put me up for assault? What the? I honestly do not think I even got one good hit on either of them. Beck was next to walk through the doorway. How are you feeling? She asks. Yeah, great. I have bruised ribs thanks to your two boyfriends. It's your fault. You shouldn't have tried to fight them. You shouldn't have been having sex with them. Don't yell at me. You shouldn't have been there. You should have been at work. What? So this is my fault, is it? Well, it's not mine. Are you serious? 
what should I have done? Just walked in and asked the two random guys nicely. Hey, excuse me, if it's not too much trouble, can you please stop having sexual intercourse with my wife and leave my house? Only if that is okay with you. I do not want to inconvenience you too much. No need to be a smartass about it. Just then, a grumpy old nurse pops her head around the door. Excuse me, can you two keep it down? There are other people in this hospital, and they don't need to listen to you two carrying on. Sorry, we will keep it down, Beck replies. There is silence for a bit. I'm leaving you, Mick. I have not been happy for a long time. What? This is the first time I'm hearing about this. Listen to me. I've called your brother, and you can stay at his place for the week before you go back to work. You did what? He will be here soon to pick you up. Is this because I said no to a threesome? I didn't want it to ruin our relationship, and I thought you said you were joking about that. Do you want to go there? I didn't want to bring this up, but if that is what you want, she takes a breath and carries on. When we have sex, it is so frickin' boring and routine, I find myself faking an orgasm to make it hurry up and end. You do know there are more positions than just missionary, don't you? Oh my god, when did you turn into such a bitch? You are not the Beck I know, who are you? Well, you would know me if you weren't so busy playing those stupid computer games all the time. Who are you playing with anyway? What grown-up stays up until two in the morning playing these dumb games? Oh my god, grow up. Bitch. It is all I could think of to say. I can't believe she feels this way about our relationship, sex life and my gaming. All of my mates are gamers. Anyway, in regards to the house, I have had it appraised, and you can either buy me out or I can buy you out. Alternatively, we can sell it. We should end up with five to ten thousand each, after fees. Oh my god, how long have you been planning this? And don't you want to at least try to work it out? I have tried, and I'm tired of trying. I have to do me now. I'm allowing myself to be happy. I'm finally permitting myself to be happy. What the hell are you going on about? I have been seeing someone, Mick. No shit, two someones, I would say. No, not them. They are just a bit of fun. Wow, great, I got beaten up just for a bit of fun. No, you got beaten up because you were trying to be a hero. Piss off. Anyway, I have been seeing a lady. What, so you are a lesbian as well? No, but if I want to be, that would be my choice and mine alone to make. Why are you talking like a bloody hippie? I'm trying to tell you, I have been seeing a lady. She is a life coach, and she told me you were holding me back. I have a fantastic future ahead of me, but before I can become the lioness I was born to be, I have to cleanse myself of all of the negative energy in my life. Mick, you are that negative energy. We have a pause in the conversation as she locks eyes with me. I wait to see what she will say or do next. Honestly, I am starting to think I may just be dodging a bullet here. She is sounding like she is one step away from the loony bin and getting a free jacket. A straight jacket. There is a bit more silence, and then a knock on the door. It is my brother, Shane. Hey Beck. Hey mate, are you ready to go? He asks me. I look at Beck. I mean, I really look at Beck. Her long brown hair, her face, her body, and into her green eyes. The eyes I used to love looking into. The eyes that used to love looking into mine. She had changed. This woman staring back at me was not my Beck. The Beck I fell in love with and asked to marry me. The Beck I was so happy to build a home with and was hoping to create a family with. This Beck is a stranger to me. How had I not noticed her change? It is not even a little change. Oi Mick, are we going? I have parked in a loading zone and if we get a ticket because you want to be a weirdo staring into Beck's eyes, you are paying for it. Yeah, stuff it, let's go. See you Beck, Shane says. Bye Shane, bye Mick. I don't say bye. Stuff her. 
whoever she is. She doesn't deserve me saying goodbye. With that, Shane and I walk out of the room, and I sign myself out of the hospital. You look like crap, Mick. Thanks, I feel like crap too. So what happened? I tell Shane the whole story. Hey, if you want me to get some mates together and find these guys, we will smash them for you. If that's what you want. Nah, thanks anyway. I think it were not those guys. It would have been another two guys. Well, let's get some pizza, and we can hang out and do some gaming. Sounds good to me. See, Beck? Lots of grown-up men play computer games. We arrive at Shane's place. It is not massive, just a one-bedroom, one-bathroom flat. Shane does not need anything too big or flash, since it is only him living in it. You've got the couch, Mick. I'm not giving up my bed just because you can't win a fight. <laughs> Sounds fair. That next week is pretty good, considering how the week has started. We hang out gaming and watch Netflix to all hours of the morning. Shane has to work during the day. He is a manager at McDonald's. Not a glamorous job, but Shane had got a job there when he was a teenager and just never left. He was happy cruising through life and had no big dreams of becoming anything more, and that is not a bad thing. Not everyone has to have dreams of becoming a big CEO of a company, and from what I have heard, most of those guys are stressed out and eventually have a heart attack before they are 50. Well, the week is over, and I get Shane to drop me off at the airport on Tuesday morning. For some reason, FIFO workers always start their weeks around the middle of the week and not on Mondays like the rest of the world. Maybe the flights are cheaper. Perhaps they will lose too many of the party animal workers if they fly them back on the Sunday or Monday due to them failing drug tests. Hey, thanks for letting me crash at yours. No worries, I guess you will want to stay next break too? Yeah, if that's cool. Yeah, no worries. Hey, can you do me a massive favour and get my stuff from my house, or Beck's house, whoever's house it is now? Yeah, no worries. Now get out of my car so that I can go back to bed. <laughs> yeah, alright, see ya. With that, I grab my bag and head into the airport. After checking in, I make my way up to the departure area and order a cappuccino. I see Deb, one of the wheel loader operators sitting by herself near the window watching the planes take off, and I make my way over to sit next to her. Hey Deb, mind if I join you? Hi Mick, grab a seat. I quickly ask her how her break was. I did not exactly want to tell her or anyone about mine, and she loves talking about herself anyway. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. My daughter Ashley has just turned 13, and the poor dear is going through puberty. Her hormone levels are going crazy, and this has turned her very moody. To be completely honest, she is acting like a right little bitch. Excuse the language. I smile and nod my head for her to go on. And on and on she goes. Blah, 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 blah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you hear what just happened? I'm talking to you, the listener, not Deb. Do you feel a little deja vu? We are back to the start of the book. Now, you must admit that was a beautiful piece of creative writing, wasn't it? Well, I hope that you are enjoying the story so far. I am going to try something a little different for the next part of the book. You can choose where the story goes from here. All you have to do is put your hand up now if you want me to go on a Thailand adventure with Thailand Tim. Okay, cool. I saw your hand move a little, so that counts. Okay, one more. If you want me to find true love before the book ends, put your hand up now. Oh, that's nice of you. Thanks. I no longer believe all of those bad things your workmates say behind your back. <laughs> back to the story. I sit there listening to Deb bang on about her daughter's menstrual cycle, and then we hear the boarding announcement for our flight. That's us, Deb, I say while standing up, and we make our way onto the plane. I go down the aisle and find my seat. I always try to get a window seat. Why is that? 
because the aisle seat sucks. You were just about to fall asleep and the drinks trolley is bound to come down the aisle and more than likely you were leaning just that little bit too far to your right and bang, the drink trolley smashes into your arm, waking you straight back up again. I reckon the flight attendants aim for you on purpose. Score, I think to myself as I see there is no one in the seat next to me as yet. I sit down and buckle myself in and claim both armrests straight away. When it comes to your comfort during a flight, armrests are gold. The trick is to pretend you are asleep when you hear another person trying to sit down next to you. If you be polite and make way for them to settle themselves down, it can backfire on you and they can steal the armrest between the two of you. Trust me, you want both armrests. So I close my eyes and do fall asleep. Suddenly, I wake up to someone trying to elbow my arm off the armrest. I open my eyes and I see an attractive girl about my age trying to lever my arm off the armrest with her elbow forcefully. Do you mind? I was sleeping. Well, move your arm and you can go back to sleep, she replies. And why exactly would I do that? My arm was here first. Because it is my armrest. Your armrest? I don't think so. Um, yeah, everyone knows aisle seat gets two armrests and window seat gets one armrest in the window. No one knows that. You just made that up. Everyone knows that. You have not been doing FIFO for long, have you? Is this your first time? No, I have been doing this for over four years now and no one has ever told me that rule. It has always been first in, best dressed. Well, I have been doing FIFO for over six years, and that has always been the rule, so move it. Nope, you can elbow me as much as you want, but there is no way you can make me move my arm. Want to bet? You do realise that I am a girl, and all I have to do is tell the flight attendant you are trying to grope me, and you will be thrown off the flight. As if you would do that. And with that, she reaches up and presses the little light above us, and gets the flight attendant's attention. I watch as the attendant makes her way towards us. Stuff it, you can have it, I say as I pull my arm off the armrest. Is there a problem? The attendant asks. Hi, how does this seatbelt work? You clip the two ends together. Here, I will show you. The attendant leans down and does up the girl's seatbelt for her. Is there anything else? No, thank you. Thanks for that. You're welcome, the attendant says and turns and walks back down the aisle. The girl puts her arms down onto her two armrests and sits up very straight as if she is a queen sitting on her throne. Ha <laughs> ha, very well played, I laugh as I lean over to try and get comfortable on my single armrest. We arrive at Port Hedland Airport and everyone goes to the baggage area to collect their bags. Hey Mick, comes a voice from behind me. I turn around to see Thailand Tim. G'day Tim, how was your break? I quickly ask before he can ask me. Yeah, not bad. I watched some movies, went wakeboarding with some mates. I got pretty pissed. Yeah, pretty standard. Next break will be even better. I'm going to Thailand. Too bad you're married, or you could come over with me. Yeah, too bad. She looks alright, what do you reckon? I look over to see who he is talking about, and see the armrest dealer. Oh, her? Yeah, she's not bad. She was sitting next to me on the plane. She stole my armrest. Yeah, I like brunettes. Brunettes? Isn't that brown hair? She's got blonde hair. Who are you talking about? I'm talking about the tall chick with the brown hair. I take another look and see a tall chick with brown hair standing next to the armrest dealer. This chick must be about six foot tall, which is taller than me. I'm only five foot ten, which I think is a good height. I don't fancy girls that are taller than I am. Beck is five foot nine, and it used to annoy me when she would wear heels and be taller than me. She would pat me on the head and say, hello down there. Tim doesn't have to worry about that. He is about six foot three. A bit too tall for me, all yours, I say. We eventually get our bags and head to the bus. As we board, I see the armrest dealer and the tall chick sitting together.
Ah, not you again, she says, smiling and looking up at me. Well, it looks like we'll be working together. Yeah, lucky me, she says while rolling her eyes. Wow, what a smart ass, I think to myself. We arrive at camp and get ready for work as usual, and then jump back on the bus in our work uniforms to head to the mine site. I make myself a coffee and walk into our pre-start meeting. My supervisor, Danny, is already up the front doing his usual speech. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you had a great break. We will be digging here, blah, 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 and dumping there, blah, blah, blah. Also, we have two new starters, Sophia, who will be on the trucks, and Jackie, who will be on a wheel loader. Make them feel welcome. Any questions? No? Great. Get to work. I look at Jackie and think to myself, there is something not quite right with her. I don't know what it is. Oh, well, it'll come to me. In the meantime, I am off to drive a truck. The week is pretty standard. I try to keep a low profile so I do not have to talk about the whole Beck thing. Hey, Mickey Mouse, are you coming to the wet mess tonight for a couple? Sophia asks me. Yeah, I'll be there. You got to go and call the old ball and chain first? Yep. All right, see you down there. I haven't told her or anyone that I no longer have a ball and chain to call. Beck did send me a message during the week. It was in regards to signing some divorce paperwork. God, she is not wasting any time. I have concluded that she has no interest in saving our marriage and that she must have been planning this for ages. My interruption with her threesome just quickened the whole thing. I must admit, I think I'm handling it all pretty well. Seeing this new side of Beck and her coldness towards me has made me feel very differently towards her. There is numbness when I think of her now. No love, no nothing. Just a bit of annoyance that she has wasted so much of my life that I could have spent with someone who does care for me. But even with that, I guess you can't appreciate the sweet without the sour. I saw that on a Tom Cruise movie. Vanilla Sky, I think it is called. It has Cameron Diaz in it as well. It's a pretty good saying, now I think of it. Anyway, enough about Beck. I'm pretty sure she's not spending her time thinking about me. So I get changed and head down to the wet mess. This shift change is the same as all the rest. I make my way around to the different tables, drinking beers with the people from various departments. Most people sit down with the people in their department and don't move from their one spot, unless they need a piss or another drink. But since I have been on this site for over four years, I have friends in all the departments, the crusher, drill and blast, catering, workshop, and of course load and haul, which I am in now. I am having a good old time, and I notice Sophia keeps looking over at me to see what I am up to. I put it down to the fact that she is new and doesn't know many other people here yet. I eventually go up to her and see if she wants a game of pool. Hey, armrest dealer, do you want a game of pool? Yeah, why not? We can play doubles. She turns to Jackie and Tim, who have been all over each other the whole night. Hey, Jackie, do you two want to play doubles? Sounds good. Come on, Tim, you can be my partner, Jackie replies. Sounds good to me, Tim replies. I still have a feeling something is up with Jackie. Anyway, we play a couple of games of pool, and Jackie is wiping the floor with us. The bell sounds for last drinks. Hey, I have a bottle of tequila in my room. Let's head there and keep this party going, Tim suggests. Sounds good, the girls say in agreement. Hey Mick, do us a favour and sweet talk one of your catering buddies into giving us some lemons and a salt shaker, Tim says. Yeah, alright, I will ask. I will meet you at your room, I reply. The three of them head off to Tim's room, and I wander over to find Gail, who I know has the keys to the dry mess. Hey Gail, buddy old pal, any chance of letting me into the mess to get some lemons and a salt shaker? There is no way in hell I'm going to let your drunk ass in my mess, but come with me and you can wait outside while I go in and get them for you. Sounds good to me. You're a legend, Gail.
Gail and I go over to the dry mess, and I do stay outside while she pops in and gets me a salt shaker and four lemons. Thanks for that, Gail. No worries, have fun. Off I go to Tim's room. I can hear his room before I can see it. He has Metallica cranking. Oi, Tim, you better turn that down. What did you say? I can't hear you over the music. I said you better turn it down before we get in trouble. Yeah, all right, all right, I'll turn it down. You get the lemon and salt? Yep, sweet. With that, he goes into his room and turns down the music. When he comes back out, he is carrying the tequila and two coffee cups which he had stolen from the dry mess. So, where are the lemon slices? Lemon slices? You asked for lemons. No, I did not. I asked for a salt shaker and lemon slices. Whatever. Anyway, have you got a knife or something? No, I do have a pen. We can cut up the lemons using a pen. Or what about a toothbrush? That would work. Oh my God, you two are idiots. We could peel the lemons. They are already in individual pieces under the peel, Sophia says, shaking her head. Oh yeah, I knew that. I was joking about the pen and toothbrush, Tim says as we all laugh. So, we all peel a lemon each and pull them apart into individual pieces. We place them into Tim's work lunchbox as he pours shots of tequila into the coffee cups. I look at the stained cups, trying to figure out if they are clean or not. Don't worry, I rinse the cups out in the shower, Tim says after he sees me looking. The shower? Why would you rinse them in the shower and not in the sink? The shower does a better job. Um, okay. Fair enough, I guess. I cannot be bothered having a drunken conversation about the best way to clean a coffee cup. I am just happy he had washed them. We all take turns of taking a shot of tequila from one of the coffee cups, licking the salt off the back of our hands and then sucking on a piece of lemon. I cannot remember how many I had done, but I am smashed. Hey, hey, I have a funny story for you, I say. Go on, they all reply. And I tell them the story about Beck cheating on me with Dwayne and his mate. Oh, I am so sorry, both girls are saying. I know how to make you feel better, Mickey boy. Come to Thailand with me this break. <laughs> good one. I can't do that. Why not? Why not indeed? I have absolutely no reason why I can't. Yeah, okay. Why not? Awesome. I will get my flight itinerary and you pull out your phone and credit card. What? You want me to book it right now? Yep. Otherwise you will chicken out. So I book my plane ticket to Thailand. Let's celebrate Mick's new life, Tim toasts. The girls cheer and we do a round. Whoops. I guess that my last shot is one too many and I stand up take two steps forward and power spew all over the red dirt in front of Tim's room. I think I will call it a night, I say. Me too, says Sophia. Are you coming, Jackie? Nah, I think I will stay and have a couple more with Tim. <laughs> okay, have fun, Sophia smiles at Jackie. With that, Sophia and I stumbled off to our own rooms and left Tim and Jackie to have a couple more. If you know what I mean, wink wink. If you do not know what I mean, they are going to have sex. I wake up the next day feeling like death warmed up. Why is it so bright in here, I think to myself. I look up and realise I have left the door wide open and that the sun is beaming straight into my room. I hear flies buzzing. I look at the floor and there is spew everywhere and right in the middle of it is my bathroom floor mat. I guess in my drunken state last night I must have tried to clean up the spew using the floor mat, then given up and passed out. The whole room stinks of spew, which is making me want to throw up again. I quickly jump out of bed. I plan to make it to the toilet or shower to throw up. However, I only make it a metre or so. I slip over on the spew that is on the floor. I cover my mouth so as not to throw up on myself. But the pressure is too much to contain the spew in my mouth, and the spew comes out my nose and then out of my mouth anyway. My ears feel funny. 
God, I hope I didn't burst my eardrums by trying to contain all that spew pressure in my mouth. I pull myself back up to my feet using the bathroom door frame. I look down at the mess and think, stuff this, I'm going to have a wet dog. So I open the fridge and grab a beer and slowly make my way into the shower. I don't want to slip over again. I adjust the shower temperature so it is as cold as I can handle. When I was happy with the temperature, I sit down on the floor of the shower and drink my beer with the shower washing all over me like a waterfall. I must have stayed in there for about half an hour. I even think I nodded off a couple of times. Honestly, I didn't want to get out and deal with the mess. Plus, it feels as if my head will explode if I stop having the cold water flow over it. I eventually get out and get dressed. I put on the darkest pair of sunglasses I can find and pop my head out the door. Luck is on my side. I see Crystal, one of the cleaners with her trolley. Hey Crystal, come here please. Hey Mick, what's up? Hey, can I borrow your mop and bucket? Yeah, no worries. Oh my god, your room stinks. Yeah, I know, that is why I need the mop. She gives me the mop and bucket and I clean my room. I leave the door open to air it out and that bathroom floor mat goes straight in the bin. The room smells like lemon disinfectant scented spew. When I am happy enough with the room, I pop a couple of Panadol, skull lots of water and one more beer. Then I go straight back to bed and stay there until my alarm goes off, telling me to get up and get ready for work. I don't want to go to work, I just want to stay in my bed forever, or at least all night. I walk into the dry mess and order two steaks. While they are getting cooked, I pack my lunch and fill up my travel coffee cup. I think I will need a few coffees tonight to stay awake. I go back and collect my steaks and add some vegetables to my plate. I walk over to our usual table and Tim is already there eating his dinner. Hey Tim, I thought you would be sitting with Jackie. Piss off, Tim replies angrily. Whoa, whoa, did I miss something here? You two looked cosy last night. What happened? Sorry Mick, I don't want to talk about it. Wow, must be serious. I've never heard you talk like that before. Yeah, sorry. Now can we change the subject? Um, okay then. We sit in awkward silence for a bit. I figure I might as well start eating my steaks. So, are you excited about the trip? Tim asks. Trip? What trip? <laughs> what trip? Our Thailand trip, this break. What do you mean? I'm not going to Thailand. Yes, you are. You booked your ticket last night. Um, I think I would remember booking a plane ticket. Check your emails on your phone. You should have received your confirmation and flight itinerary. I pull out my phone, and sure enough, there is an email from Virgin confirming my flight to Thailand. Wow, I guess I am going to Thailand. Yep, it's going to be awesome. We can go and watch some Muay Thai. Hire some scooters, go parasailing, get massages, and you can even get a bar girl if you want. It all sounds pretty awesome, except for the bar girl. Don't worry, I'm not turning gay or anything. I'm just not interested in Asians, and not ones that have been with a thousand different guys. Sounds cool. What about accommodation? Don't worry about that. I upgraded my room last night to a suite with two double beds. Awesome. Boys trip. We high-five each other and laugh. Then we finish our dinner and go to the self-testing machine. 0.02, says Tim. 0.01, I reply. Sweet, we will both be blowing zeros by the time we make it to work. With peace of mind that we won't be blowing numbers at work, we hop on the bus to go to work. I see the girls, sitting in their usual seat. Hi ladies, I say. Hi Mick, they both reply. Tim just walks past, ignoring them. Hi Tim, Sophia says. Oh, hi Sophia, Tim replies. Tim and Jackie don't say anything to each other. That awkward feeling suddenly comes back. This time it hangs over all four of us. The shift is pretty standard. 
drive the truck to the loader, get a load, tip it off, and then back to the loader. All the time I'm trying to stay awake. I have three coffees and two cans of Red Bull. That last hour is a killer, I can hardly stay awake. I crank up the heavy metal and sing and dance in my truck while I'm driving. If someone filmed truckies on night shift, they would think these people are crazy or just idiots. The rest of the week goes pretty much the same. Tim and Jackie avoid each other, and all of us just try to stay awake while operating our machines. I am starting to get excited about going to Thailand with Tim. Like I said before, I have only been overseas once, and that was a family trip to Bali. The day finally arrives for Tim's and my great adventure. I won't bore you with the airport and customs stuff. It's the same as the FIFO plane trips, just a more extended trip. We arrive in Thailand and collect our bags. Then I see a man holding a sign with our names on it. Look, Tim, there's our names. Yeah, cool, that's our lift then. Hi, that's us, I say to the man while pointing at the sign. Welcome to Thailand. Please follow me, says the sign man, and he leads us to a minivan parked out the front. We put our bags in the back and hop in. First time in Thailand? he asks. For me it is, but Tim has been heaps, I answer. That is good. Do you want to do a tour? You can book with me now, easy, he says while passing me a handful of different flyers, each advertising the various activities and tours available. There are themed dinner and shows, water sports, dirt bike riding, shooting a gun, and the list goes on. Wow, hey Tim, what do you want to do first? I must sound a little too excited because Tim starts laughing his ass off. <laughs> Calm down there, Tiger. We will get settled into the hotel first. Then we can pick a couple of activities to do. Remember, we have five days here, and if you like it and don't annoy me too much, I might even bring you back another time. He says this to me as if I'm an excited little child. Haha, <laughs> okay, smartass, I laugh back. We arrive at the hotel. It looks like a palace. All the workers keep bowing their heads at us, saying, Sweaty car. Tim tells me it means hello. It is beautiful here, the complete opposite to the red dirt and the dongers we have at work. The room Tim has organised is massive and it overlooks a swimming pool. Tim sees me staring at the pool. There are five more pools here, Mick, and all of them have a swim-up bar. You keen for a drink and a swim? Hell yeah, let's go! We put on our board shorts and head down to one of the pools. This pool overlooks the beach. We grab a beer each and relax, submerged in the pool, watching the other tourists jet skiing and parasailing in the ocean. Ah, this is the life, hey Tim? Yep, it sure is. We relax in the pool, drinking the local beer for about an hour. Then a bell sounds, ding ding. Happy hour, half price shots, calls out the bartender. You keen, Tim asks. Bring it on. Tim and I go shot for shot for the full happy hour, never leaving the pool to urinate. I look around at the other tourists in the pool, and I cannot remember seeing any of them leave the pool to go to the toilet. So, basically, we are swimming around in a big pool of chlorinated urine. The best thing is I am too pissed to care. Get it? Too pissed to care about the piss. Okay, not that funny. What about the ocean, with all those fish and other sea life? They do not get out of the ocean to pee and poo. I guess the ocean is just one massive toilet. Wow, the intelligent thoughts you have when you were drunk. Come on, Mick, let's get ready and I will show you the nightlife. Bring it on, I reply. Gee, I say bring it on a lot. We hop out of the pool and grab our towels. We are only halfway back to our room, when suddenly I feel sick and throw up in the manicured bushes next to the walkway. Yuck, Dad, look at what that man is doing, I hear a little girl say. I look up to see a family walking towards us. Piss off, I feel like saying, but I bite my tongue. You do not want to be that guy. 
You know, the one that throws up in the bushes and yells at little girls. That guy's a dick. I finish my spew and carry on walking, or stumbling, the rest of the way to the room. Here, drink some water, Tim tells me while handing me a big bottle of water. I scull it and head straight for the shower. I do not want to ruin Tim's night because I cannot handle my alcohol. We have a nice Thailand-themed dinner, which involves five traditionally dressed dancers doing their traditional dance. The food is lovely, if not a little bit too spicy. Feeling better, Spewy? Tim asks. Yep, I think the trick is to eat when you are drinking. The liquid-only diet does not seem to work for me. <laughs> we both laugh. You up for some Muay Thai? Tim asks. Oh yeah, I like kickboxing. Well, technically Muay Thai is not kickboxing. Kickboxing is kicks and punches, while Muay Thai has knees and elbows as well. Oh, okay, I stand corrected. Yep, sounds good. Cool, we will finish these beers and head over. It is only a 10-minute walk down the road to the Muay Thai ring. It takes us 30 minutes because I keep stopping to look at the stalls selling the fake Hugo Boss belts, Rolex watches and Billabong t-shirts. Tim helps me to barter down the guy selling the Rolexes. I end up getting a really flash one for $50. The guy initially asked me for $200, which I thought was fair since a real one would be worth ten dollars to $20,000. Tim would not let me buy it at that price. No way will I let you buy that watch for that price, Tim says. Let me handle this. He will give you a thousand baht. Haha, <laughs> I would buy it off you for a thousand baht, the store guy replies. Make it two thousand. You are Aussies. You have lots of money. Tim and I start to walk off. Okay, okay, fifteen hundred baht, no less, the store guy says angrily. That is fair. Pay the guy, Mick. Just like that, I'm pimping with a flash-looking watch hanging from my wrist. Now, can we please go to the Muay Thai ring? Tim asks. I promise you will have plenty of time to buy all of your fake stuff before we fly home. Yeah, alright, thanks for getting me the watch so cheap. The next round is on me, I say. I cannot stop looking at the watch. It looks like something Brad Pitt or some other rich guy would wear. We make it to the Muay Thai ring. Bang, bang, thud, thud, wow. These guys are really going hard. We find a seat on the benches surrounding the ring, and true to my word, I order us a round of beers. After each fight, the fighters walk through the crowd, and we give them a hundred baht each for watching their match. The announcer comes into the ring. Hello everyone, we need a volunteer from the crowd to fight one of our fighters, the announcer calls out to the crowd. What kind of idiot would put their hand up to do that, I think. Hey, over here, Tim yells out. What? Tim wants to do it, what an idiot. Wonderful, we have a volunteer, please come down. Well, get up and go down, Tim says to me. What? You were the idiot that put your hand up. Yeah, that was for you. Don't worry, they go really soft on the tourists. Think about it. They would not make any money off the tourists if they beat them up, now would they? That makes sense, I guess. I stand up, scull my beer, and make my way down into the ring. The audience gives me a big cheer. I turn around and do a fist pump in the air to the crowd. <laughs> that reminds me of what I did before the sheep almost knocked me out. I guess some things never change. The announcer puts some gloves on me and says, In you go. Wow, the safety department would have a field day or a heart attack with this. That is in regards to the lack of personal protective equipment and training. The guy I am versing is a lot shorter than I am and looks about 12 years old. He is probably 19 years old. You know these Asians always look younger than what they are. I think I will go soft on him. I don't want to hurt the poor fella. The announcer dings the bell. Fight! Pow, bang, bang, thud, and I'm on my ass. He had push-kicked me in the stomach and then punched me twice in my side. 
I'm literally seeing stars, and I think I might throw up. I get back up, and the crowd cheers for me, or him. I don't know who. Then pow, bang, bang, thud. I'm back on my ass again. He had push-kicked me in the stomach again with his right foot, kicked me on the side with his left leg, and finished me with a kick to my head with his right leg. I come to a minute or two later with the announcer using some tiger balm smelling stuff under my nose. He is all good, he announces to the crowd. They cheer, and Tim helps me back to the benches. That was awesome. I cannot believe you had the balls to go in there. I would never have done that, Tim says while handing me a beer. What? And I thought you said they go soft on tourists. Oh, yeah, I lied. They go harder. (laughs) At least you have a good story to tell Sophia. Why would she care, I ask. Um, maybe because she fancies you? No way, she's totally out of my league. Yeah, I think so too. Jackie told me she does though. Speaking of Jackie, what happened between you two? Don't go there, Mick. It'll just ruin the good time we're having. Okay, I'll drop it. Tim and I decide we will call it a night, and he helps me into a tuk-tuk, which is a three-wheel motorbike taxi, and we head back to our hotel. I wake up the next morning, and I can hardly move. I look down and see a massive purple bruise on my side, and I have a shocking headache. I hear Tim coming out of the shower. How are you feeling? Tim asks. Like crap, I have the sorest head, and hey, check out this bruise, I say while lifting my shirt. Well, lucky you are in Thailand. You can get almost anything from the chemist here. After breakfast, I will pop down and get you some painkillers. We go down to the breakfast area, which is overlooking one of the hotel swimming pools. There is everything available for breakfast. Six different types of freshly squeezed juices, ten kinds of cereal, bacon and eggs, omelettes, and the list goes on. This buffet puts the Mindsights buffet to shame. I grab a big plate of bacon and eggs and two glasses of pineapple juice and I sit down at a table so close to the pool I can bend down and touch the water. Ah, besides the bruised side and throbbing headache, this is paradise. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, it sure is. I can see why you keep coming back. Tim just smiles in reply. I'm going to pop down to the chemist now. How strong do you want your painkillers? Slight pain relief or cannot feel your face pain relief, Tim asks. Just normal, thanks. I still want to have some fun today and not be totally out of it. Yep, no worries. See you soon. With that, Tim is off. I finish my breakfast and jump into the pool and order a beer from the swim-up bar. Tim comes back about 20 minutes later. Here you go, Tim says while handing me the pills. I'm going to grab a towel. As he walks off, I pull the pills out of the envelope. They are the same shape and size as Panadol. I guess two will do the trick and pop them into my mouth and wash them down with a big mouthful of beer. Tim comes back with his towel. Just take half a pill to start off with, and in four hours you can have another half, he says. What? I just took two. Why would you take something when you don't know what it is? Because you gave it to me. Wow, if I jumped off a cliff, would you do it? No. Oh no, what do you think will happen now? Calm down, drama queen. I reckon you will feel really relaxed. He is right. I do become really relaxed. It feels like I am melting into my sunbed and I must have fallen asleep because I have the craziest dream. I am Mickey Mouse, and Sophia was Minnie Mouse. Tim was Goofy, and Jackie is a female Goofy. Beck comes into the dream, and she is Daisy Duck, who is a villain in the dream. Then I wake up. Wow, I wonder if this is what LSD is like. I feel cold water being poured over my face. Earth to Mick, are you in there? Tim says. What do you think you were doing? First you drug me, now you were pouring water over me. Oh, boo-hoo. First off, you drugged yourself, 
and second, I am stopping you from becoming dehydrated. Third, you have been laying there all day and the staff are starting to give you funny looks, especially when you were calling out for Minnie Mouse. He puts a pizza down beside me. Here, eat this. I eat the pizza and scull some water. I can feel the fog from the pills lifting. It is actually nice to feel some pain. After the pizza, I go up to the room and have a nap. At least I will not get sunburnt in here. Get up, Tim says, shaking me. It's seven o'clock. You have slept the whole day. Let's go have some fun. Sounds good. I have a quick shower and get changed. Then we head out to one of the many bars that line the streets. Hey, does she look familiar? Tim asks me. I look over and see it's Joy, the bar girl Bob is in love with, and she is arm in arm with some other short fat guy in his mid-fifties. Well, at least she has a type. He could be Bob's twin, I say. Yep, and any bet that sucker is sending her money over each month as well, Tim replies, while taking a photo of Joy and Bob's twin on his phone. Might as well break his heart sooner rather than later, and it will save him money in the long run. We go from one bar to the next, using up their happy hour deals. Suddenly, a local guy jumps out of nowhere. You want to see a ping pong show? He asks. No thanks, I answer. Yes, he does. Let's go, Tim says to the guy. And off we go following this random guy through the laneways. Truthfully, I have no interest in seeing a ping pong ball pop out of a girl's vagina. I guess that is why I am boring, according to Beck. We enter an arena similar to the Muay Thai one. On the stage are the ladies doing their thing. I had expected to see the room full of seedy men. To my surprise, there is a real mixture. A married couple, a group of girls that look like they are on a hen's night, some Japanese tourists and us. The hen's night girls are having a great time and one catches the ping pong ball. Next, a lady from the stage brings out a balloon and hands it to the married couple, who were told to hold it up high above their heads. The girl on the stage props up her legs and shoots out a little dart, popping the balloon. Wow, she has a good aim, I say. Yeah, I'm sure she's had plenty of practice. We stay for another 20 minutes, then decide to hit a couple more bars. Pretty talented girls, I say. Yeah, they are. The people watching are not as seedy as I thought they would be. Yeah, I guess everyone hears about these shows and want to know for themselves what all the fuss is about. Yeah, sounds about right. We start doing lots of shots at the next bar, and I am getting hammered. The last thing I remember was playing pool with some of the local girls. They were taller and better at pool at this bar than the other local girls at previous bars. I wake up feeling like crap. I can smell spew everywhere. I look around but cannot see any. Then I look down at my shirt and it is covered in spew. The smell is so bad that I quickly pull off the t-shirt while at the same time wiping the spew across my face, which makes me gag and I'm about to throw up again. I quickly run into the bathroom and throw up in the sink. I lift my head and see a girl wearing a t-shirt and knickers peeing in the toilet. The only thing is that she is not sitting down to pee, she is standing. She shakes whatever it is in front of her that she is peeing out of and tucks it back into her knickers and turns around. Hello, spew boy, she says as she walks past me. I watch to see which bed she gets into, praying to God that it is not mine. She pulls back the covers to Tim's bed and puts her arm around him, spooning him. Wow! I quickly have a shower to wash the spew off me, then chuck on some clothes and sneak out the door, trying not to wake Tim. I get some breakfast and sit by the pool. Wow, what a crazy night. I think I will hang down here for a while. I do not want to be in that room when Tim wakes up and realises the girl in his bed is not a girl. I order a beer and chill out in the pool. An hour later, Tim comes over and jumps in the pool. Hey Mick, what a night, he says and orders himself a beer and a burger. Yeah, where is the girl? I ask. Oh her, she is gone. 
I cannot wait for this burger. I am starving. Wow, he is relaxed about the whole thing. Maybe he could not remember what he did last night, and she just left without him seeing what she has downstairs. You want to go jet skiing and parasailing today? He asks. Hell yeah, bring it on. If it is okay with you, I might just give the bars a miss for the rest of the trip. We can do some tours, and you can shop until you drop if you want. <laughs> Sounds good to me. The rest of the trip was great. We hire jet skis, do a boat tour to some islands, whitewater rafting, and I buy heaps of fake brand label clothes. I even buy Sophia a fake Chanel handbag. The best bit is, no more hangovers. We are on the plane back to Perth, and I turn to Tim. Hey, did you have sex with that Thai chick? Yeah, of course I did. But don't tell Jackie. I think I am going to apologise to her and see what happens there. Why are you asking me that? No reason. I was just wondering. Oh, okay. We sit back, put on our headphones and watch our movies. I sit there thinking, boom, my mind is officially blown. Suddenly, the feeling I had that something was not quite right with Jackie and the crazy dream I had when I was high on painkillers all make sense. Sophia and I are meant to be together. Just like Mickey and Minnie Mouse. Tim and Jackie are meant to be together. The fact that Tim is goofy means he is a tall bloke. The fact that Jackie is a girl goofy means she is a tall lady bloke or lady boy. Like the lady boy Tim had sex with. Jackie is transgender or whatever they are called. Wow, what a spin out. Hey listener, did you see that coming? Cool, hey. Well, I will tell you how it all ends up. That way you were not left thinking, so what happens next? Here it goes. I end up with Sophia, and we hope to live happily ever after. Once the divorce goes through, I never want to see Beck again. I hear she has joined some hippie cult or something. Tim showed Bob the photo of Joy and Bob's twin. He got rid of Joy and is now with another Thai girl. So far, so good with this one. Tim and Jackie are engaged. They are planning to get married next year. Why not? It is legal in Australia now. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed the book. Talk to you soon with FIFO 2.